Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Suhair Halim, Ph.D. student at the University of Florida. We will discuss a 2020 University of Florida DEET study. Suhair works in the Department of Health Services Research, Management, and Policy in the College of Public Health at the University of Florida. He holds a master's degree in health administration from Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU, and prior to joining the University of Florida, spent two years as a process improvement specialist for the Innova Health System in the D.C. suburbs of Virginia. Zuhair has also worked for VCU Health's Office of Health Innovation, as well as the Virginia Healthcare Foundation, two Richmond-based organizations that support Virginia's healthcare safety net through population health management strategies. His research interests are in the areas of health policy and health economics, specifically addressing disparities in health outcomes. Zuhair, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Elena. So what is the exact title of the study? Let's start there. So the title of the study is Exposure to NN-Diethylmetatulamide, or DEET, um, the insect repellent, and human health markers that are population-based estimates from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. When did it take place? Uh, This study was published uh, this year, 2020, um, in the uh, American Journal of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. So that's when the results of the study were published. Over what time period did it take place? So we used the National Health Examination Survey, and we used specifically the 2015-2016 iteration of the National Health and um, Nutrition Examination Survey, or NHANES for short. Um, In this study, we were able to identify over 1,200 individuals who had deep metabolite levels that were recorded at or above detection limits. Um, The purpose of the study was to see if there were any health impacts of uh, those individuals identified with this deep metabolite. Um, So we identified certain health biomarkers based on past research that we thought might um, be impacted, might have a negative health impact um, because of exposure to this uh, insect repellent, this, uh, the ingredient inside the insect repellent DEET. You analyzed the results of studies done before you as opposed to working with actual humans. Is that right? Well, initially, in order to establish a, a hypothesis and a premise for our study, we looked at previous studies on DEET. Now, in this uh, insecticide, this deep-based insect repellent has been used in the country for many years. It was first approved in 1946 for the U.S. military to protect soldiers soldier stationed in mosquito-infested areas. Um, it came into commercial use in the 1950s. Um, it was in the 80s and 90s that there was a concern that this insect repellent uh, ingredient, DEET, um, causes some side effects, including skin irritation, seizures, and rashes of, of some kind. Um, this prompted the EPA to do a review in 1998 of the safety of DEET. Um, their assessment found that the insect repellent that contains DEET do not present a health concern. Um, 
in 2014, there was another reassessment of D in which they found that, quote, they were unable to identify sufficient evidence of any risk of concern to human health um, or the environment. Now, in, upon further examination of this, we found that the evidence that the AP, EPA is referring to are mostly case reports, individual studies that have been done that um, in some cases uh, the use of the proper use of this insect repellent does not lead to any health impacts. Um, however, we found that there is also other case reports that do in fact show that DEED has had, even when properly used, has had impacts on, on certain health biomarkers, including liver function, kidney function, um, immune, immune function, and systemic inflation. Excuse me, systemic inflammation. Um, these were the biomarkers that we used um, that, based on previous studies, showed that some um, cases have been reported that DEED has had uh, a negative impact on these biomarkers. So based on the on on this research, we used um, the NHANES survey, uh, the National Health um, Examination and Nutrition Survey, in order to um, gain data on this um, on those who have this deep metabolite and to see if they have uh, related health effects. So this this survey, the NHANES, collects many a lot of information from. Um, over 5,000 people every year. It's a nationally representative sample. Um, and then um, these different counties are selected, and 15 are selected each year that the NHANES is conducted. Um, we used um, the NHANES from 2015 to 2016, as I mentioned, and we were able to identify um, over 1,200 individuals with uh, the deep metabolite. Um, using a Pearson correlation and all the other laboratory tests, um, that are collected in the NHANES, we first identified biomarkers associated with liver function, with kidney function, with immune function, um, with systemic inflammation, and we compared the data to see if there was any correlation between uh, having this deep metabolite present in, in your system and if there was any subsequent um, health impact. Um, bottom line, what we found from our study was that there was no significant correlation between any of these um, biomarkers and the presence of deep metabolite, um, leading us to conclude that with a nationally representative sample, um, that DEET is in fact uh, does not have um, negative health impacts on humans. Let's go back to basics. DEET is a yellowish liquid that you apply in the form of an insect repellent to your body. Is that right? Correct. It's um, it's comes in varying different concentrations. It's a it it can come in the form of of sprays of sticks, um, and they're meant for direct application to the skin. Um, like I mentioned, the concentrations can come in any range from four to a hundred percent deep concentration within these um, insect repellent products. But they can come in liquid sprays, lotions. Um, different sticks that are intended for direct, direct application to the skin. Um, proper use of DEET is very important. So in most of these products, you will see that they uh, advise that you do not apply um, the insect repellent over cuts, over wounds, over irritated skin. Uh, recommendations to not apply on the hand or near the eyes and mouth. Um, 
do not allow young children to apply this product, um, and often um, warnings will ha be there to um, make sure that you do not overuse the product as well, and ensuring that after returning indoors that to wash treated skin with soap and water so that it does not remain on the skin. Um, these are some of the uh, recommendations for proper use of DEET. Um, it has been found that uh, products containing DEET, uh, those insect repellents, are the most efficacious um, of the different products that are on the market. Um, the DEET concentration, uh, something important to note, is that a higher concentration does not mean the product works better. It simply means it's more effective for a longer period of time. So D has been found to repel mosquitoes and ticks for an average of five hours at a 24% concentration. Um, and the average, most products um, that contain D are within the 30 to 40% uh, D concentration range. And D repels insects, specifically arthropods. Which are the arthropods in addition to mosquitoes and ticks? So that includes fleas as well and some species of, 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 um, of spiders, um, but it's mainly for used, commonly used to prevent bites from mosquitoes, ticks, and fleas. What is the source of DEET? What is it made from? So it is a chemical compound uh, that comes from the uh, the name N-N-diethylmetylatulamide. It is a, it is a carbon compound um, at its basis. Um, it is synthetically made. Um, it does not exist um, naturally in the environment. It's synthetically it's synthetically made. But what is the base source that they use? What are they mimicking when they make DEET? A lot of the pesticides have a natural source that they begin, say, for example, pepper, which in nature is repellent, and so they use that as a foundation and modify it or make it more shelf-stable. So what are they using in the lab to make DEET? That is something, Elena, I actually am not familiar with the uh, chemical process of how uh, DEET is manufactured. That is not something I'm, I'm aware of, the process. Okay. Where is DEET or the DEET that you studied? In what country was it manufactured? So the NHANES is the, the, um, the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, the data that we base the study off, is um, based in the U.S. Um, and the reason why we focused on DEET um, is because it's one of the most widely used um, insect repellents in the states as well as across the world. Um, over 30% of the U.S. population uh, on average uses a DEET-containing uh, product uh, at least once a year. Um, so the wide prevalence, the fact that it was the most efficacious on the market speaks to its widespread use um, and the reason why we wanted to focus on the study as, as more people use it to prevent vector-borne diseases moving forward. Um, vector-borne diseases meaning any, any diseases spread through um, a vector, which could be uh, a mosquito, a tick, or a flea. How does DEET work? So the actual 
uh, mechanism by which it deters uh, arthropods, mosquitoes, ticks, fleas is still unclear. Um, some studies say, state that it, or show that it might be due to the sensory, um, it, it, it uh, interferes with the insect's ability to sense uh, human skin and therefore confuses them. Uh, different from different other types of insect repellent, insecticides, insect repellent, this deep-based deep one is meant to repel rather than um, kill insects. So while the mechanism by which it um, confuses insects is unclear, um, its efficaciousness has been proven through multiple studies. How is using DEET better or different from using natural repellents? So some other alternatives to DEET, um, oil of lemon eucalyptus is a common uh, insect repellent used at 30%. Um, that is, a, like I say, it's, it is a common alternative, um, but it is not, it has, in studies it has shown that both oil of lemon eucalyptus and picaridin, which is another common insect repellent, at similar levels of concentration um, aren't as efficacious as DEET is. Um, so while there are um, some natural-based alternatives, they aren't used as often and they're not as efficacious due to the fact that there aren't as efficacious. And when you say they're not as efficacious, can you tell us a little bit more specifically what you mean? Sure. So as I mentioned before, the concentration um, refers to the duration um, um, for which the insect repellent is active. So with different concentrations, the idea is that it would be active for longer periods of time. Deep at lower uh, concentrations is still able to last longer than than other their their, their natural comp counterparts um, um, in their concentration and the idea is that um, by the longer it remains on the skin that it prevents um, mosquito bites and from them um, being present um, in your surrounding area to be able to confuse them to be able to um, from finding your the human skin. Um, so in studies comparing these two in, in clinical studies and comparing different types of insect repellents, um, they found that fewer bites occurred and that the DEET repellent lasted longer than their natural um, counterparts like oil of lemon eucalyptus, like uh, picaridin. So lasted longer, was that an hour or twice as long? Can you be more specific? Sure. So I, uh, the, the basis, um, so DEET was found to repel mosquitoes and ticks for an average of five hours at a 24% concentration. Um, uh, other products like oil, lemon, eucalyptus, um, like picaridin, that number was closer to, to four to, to four and a half hours, significantly different significantly uh, less than than that of than that of DEET. Um, so DEET worked for five hours and the natural alternatives worked for four and a half hours? Did I understand uh, correctly? Between four and four and a half hours. It, um, it, there was, it's, there, it depended on the concentration, but um, on, 
there was a statistical significantly difference between um, the use of DEET and, and the other other products uh, of similar uh, are in other insect repellents. Sorry, say that again. There is a significant difference in the in the efficacy in terms of duration. Correct. Uh, in the in the efficacy of the duration of the effectiveness of a of the deep based products were uh, were more. There was a significant difference between uh, deep based uh, products and other other insect repellents like picaridin, like oilum and eucalyptus. Uh, deep was found to last longer and and prevent more prevent more um, bites from mosquitoes from ticks than than their um, than their other counterparts. What was DEET most effective repelling based on your findings? Were there particular arthropods that DEET was most effective with? Was it effective across the board? So most of the studies regarding the efficacy of DEET, they do use different mosquito um, species. Um, that's the most common. Those are the most common vector uh, vectors for uh, spreading disease, um, so um, that's where most of these studies are conducted on specific mosquito um, species. Um, but the species or studies have been done on um, the effect of DEET on ticks as well. Um, but like I say, mosquitoes being the most common, um, that's where most of the studies have been uh, focused on, and that's where the uh, efficaciousness of of DEET has been demonstrated. It, most of the studies have concentrated on mosquitoes because of the diseases that they carry. Correct, because um, because of the, um, of diseases like yellow fever, um, like chikungunya virus, like dengue virus, like uh, dengue fever, yellow fever. These are all uh, common vector-borne diseases um, from from mosquitoes uh, that are spread from mosquitoes. Um, and were referred to in articles um, that were demonstrating the efficaciousness of different uh, insect repellents. I noticed you didn't mention malaria. Correct. Uh, malaria, it just depends on, uh, yes, malaria is definitely one of uh, a very common uh, vector-borne disease for spread by mosquitoes. Um, focusing on the states and then some of the some of the ones that uh, are are more closer to domestically, uh, West Nile, uh, chikungunya, dengue, and yellow fever are, are more common than than malaria in the states, um, which is the only reason why I didn't mention it. And of course, different mosquitoes carry different diseases. So there are some mosquitoes that are diurnal and others that are crepuscular. Did the studies reveal any differences in the efficacy of DEET in relation to specific mosquitoes and the disease that they carry? I can't speak to the uh, different species um, and which one was more effective against different species. The extent to which we uh, did research on the efficaciousness of, of DEET was just to confirm and to see how its usage of it, its, its function, how it's, it's used. Um, and to better understand um, that portion of it um, to, um, to support the, the, the purpose of the study.
how much of the data relates to the other arthropods, the ticks, the fleas, uh, the spiders, and under the spiders, does that include, um, I understand, for example, that the insects that cause scabies are a type of spider. Um, is the deed effective against those? So we found that uh, from based on what we the existing literature says that the it overall is effective against arthropods. I can't speak to if it's more effective towards different types of um, species. Um, overall, though, um, in, in, in terms of insect repellents, in terms of preventing bites from different arthropods like mosquitoes, like ticks and fleas. Um, it has been the most efficacious of the of the ones that are on the available on the market. Let's go back to your study. So, how much time and how many researchers were involved in your study? So we began looking at the concept um, around January, um, end of January of this year, twenty twenty. Um, we it started in our department of health services research management and policy so i worked with chip manis who's our, our veteran author in our department as well as uh, sandhya yadav who is a fellow health services research phd student um as we started getting into understanding the uh, biomarkers and what clinical um data we should be looking at we look um we brought in um, Dr. Peter Carrick, um, who's a family medicine physician at uh, UF to, to help consult us on this project, as well as a um, uh, minor cushion, who's our uh, social behavior sciences um, PhD student. And then to really understand the statistics um, that we did um, using Sudan and the other statistical software, um, really honing on that, we, uh, Rebecca Tanner. Rebecca Tanner, our research coordinator within our department, um, was also contributed. So we started in January of this year with the idea. Once we we started, um, what prompted it really was that um, before the NHANES for for many years until the 2015 NHANES, um, the the metabolite the D, um, metabolite whether or not was um, present was a self-reported measure. Um, now the NHANES actually, through urine samples, was collecting a, um, a deep metabolite uh, value. So it wasn't just self-reported. So the data around whether or not uh, a patient had DEET in their system was much more reliable. So we were able to, to use um, a much more reliable outcome measure on that on that front, which is why we what inspired us to do the study. And upon further examination of D and the studies that um, have led to the EPA and the CDC, CDC to approve its usage, we found that there was some mixed literature and a lack of that population-based um, data to support any findings that it is, in fact, safe. So that was the main reason why we felt the study was important. Um, we had the opportunity with the NHANES deep metabolite and it was a nationally representative survey. Um, and our final unweighted um, sample size, because the NHANES is a nationally representative survey, because we weighted, um, we 
put in weighting factors to make sure our sample matches the population, it was representative of almost 171 million Americans, which is which is quite a, a large um, representative sample um, that we were able to use to co definitively conclude that there is not an association between the presence of this deep metabolite and the different biomarkers we identified for liver function, for kidney function, for immune function, for uh, systemic inflammation. What was your source of funding? So it's just department-based, thankfully, because the NHANES is, a, is, um, is free data that we were able to access online, um, that we were able to function within our department. It was just uh, within the Department of Health Services Research and Management and Policy that was able to, to fund the, the study. So there are no deep manufacturers funding your work? Nope, this is entirely in-house. We were able to look at the data set, run a, a piercing correlation through a statistical software we already had, and we were able to come up with a conclusion. That doesn't mean that the studies that you based your research on were not funded by manufacturers, just that the work that you did wasn't. Is that correct? That is correct, Elena. I appreciate you clarifying that. The the studies that we, we based on, um, they are from, from Lancet from, um, and, and um, what we've confirmed, um, I can't speak to the, all the, the studies, whether the, the sources of funding for all the studies that we referred to, and, um, but uh, our study um, examining this uh, data from the NHANES um, was completely independent. You talked about weighted and unweighted and representative of 171 million Americans. Tell us a little bit more about what that means, how you weight an unweighted sample. Yeah, so it's a, it's a little bit uh, complicated, but we wanted to make sure that basically weighting, all that refers to is making sure that your sample is representative of an entire population. So the NHANES is a multi-stage probability sample of the civilian non-institutionalized U.S. population. And like I mentioned before, they survey uh, around 5,000 people each year who are located in counties across the country. And then every year, 15 of them, 15 of these counties are selected. Um, and then they do physical exams, lab exams, interviews um, with all the individuals. Um, so once you get that data, the NAINs, um based on um, on the each year's um, the people that they um, the counties that they select, they provide weights for each of the different um, areas that you're trying to break down. So for us, we were able to break it down by um, different race, um, and, and um, we were able to control for gender as well. Um, to see if there was any um, difference in that. But because of the weights that are provided by NHANES, we were able to um, modify our sample so that it is more nationally representative to the point that our final weighted sample was 47.9% male, and we had 63.8% um, non-Hispanic white, 16.4% uh, Hispanic, and then 11.8% non-Hispanic black, and 8% were other. Um, this being nationally representative of the U.S. Um, so that's basically how we were able to weight the samples and, and get it so our final um, weighted sample was representative of almost 171 million Americans. 
and I, I don't know if this is a question that you can answer because it wasn't what your study did, but I'm just curious, how did the study get people to agree to participate? Are these people compensated? Uh, what is that process, if you know? Um, I, I I do know that they are compensated. Um, the the idea with the NHANES is it's longitudinally tracking these patients, so we have uh, longitudinal data over time to see um, uh, on all these different biomarkers that they collect. Um, they are compensated for their time, and they there are a lot of follow-ups. Like I mentioned before, the NHANES is quite a involved. Um, survey. They they do take many um, biomarkers, they um, blood samples, personal health interview interviews to understand behaviors and attitudes and the like. Um, and they are constantly following up with these folks. So um, part of the NHANES is uh, keeping track of people who they lose off um, from the camp aren't un unable to follow up by for whatever reason whenever you have a study um, there are people that do not um, complete the study for whatever reason um, and we we wait and adjust our data accordingly to account for that um, but the NHANES has been it's a it's it's a long-standing uh, national representative survey that's been used for um, many uh, health services research projects similar to this um, has been consistently been reliable data. They've done validity studies to to confirm um, the, um, their their findings as well. Um, so we were confident in the the data that we're using and the processes that NHANES um, takes in order to collect that nationally representative sample. You've talked about biomarkers a couple of times. You've mentioned them. Tell us what biomarkers are. Yeah, so it's basically uh, it's it's a way we can um, identify how um, how well a certain process is functioning in the human body. So to understand liver function, um, we have um, different biomarkers that clinicians use to see how well your liver is functioning. So we use um, aspartate aminotransferase. Uh, which is AST, alanine aminotransferase, which is ALT, and then um, Y-glutal uh, transferase, which is GDT. Um, these are all um, found through uh, a simple blood test that you can um, get uh, this assay of this liver, liver function to be able to determine how well um, the liver is functioning. Um, this was based on a previous study that we had found, a case report, where had an impact on hepatic function, which re which refers to the liver, um, and, and had a, that impact by altering the induction of certain genes that affect the body's ability to metabolize certain uh, drugs. So we thought that these liver function tests were a good way to test that. Um, kidney function, uh, we you looked at estimated uh, glomular filtration rate, or EGFR, um, this is a common biomarker that basically measures the amount of creatinine, which is a like waste product in your blood, um, and is a common measure for kidney function. Um, we also looked at immune function, so lymphocytes, which are just your white blood cells. Uh, this is a good biomarker to see um, if an immune response has been activated in the body. Uh, the presence of more lymphocytes would help us to identify that. 
And then uh, finally, we also looked at systemic uh, inflammation, and we used high-sensitive um, high-sensitivity C-reactive protein markers, um, which have been shown to be an effective indicator of systemic inflammation in previous studies. There's been concern that DEET is not safe. I assume that was part of the reason that you did this study. And one of the concerns has been that it causes cancer. Did you look into that? And if so, what did you find? So we only looked at the biomarkers that we were able to um, identify some previous studies having um, some relation between DEET and the like. So that's why we chose liver, kidney, immune, and systemic inflation, inflammation, we did not look at um, cancer um, rates or any, or any other um, diseases of that type, but that is something that we identified as a possible um, future study to look at D in some chronic conditions such as COPD, certain types of cancers like melanoma, um, and then nervous system conditions as well. Um, such as seizures and heart disease, because we have seen case reports of, of those occurring um, when exposed to DEET. So something for a future study, definitely not something we looked at in this study, though. What about its safety in relation to children and pregnant women? You've mentioned that this is representative of 171 million people. Does that include pregnant women, children, et cetera? So it does not include children. So we controlled for age by examining different uh, stratified age groups, but participants less than 20 years old were excluded from our sample because they didn't have information on history of kidney disease, liver disease, um, cardiovascular disease, and those were things we controlled for um, to make sure that we didn't have um, outliers in the data because they, we didn't have their information on history of their um, different diseases. So the sample that we have is only representative of 20 and up in, in, in the U.S. So it does not um, um, cover children, but um, pregnant women um, would be representative in our, in our sample. Um, what I will say, though, is that um, in the 1998 review by the EPA in the 2014 review of the EPA, they do cite specifically that um, it is safe for children and pregnant women, although they do list that separately for obvious reasons. Um, I think it would be beneficial to um, do a study just on on children to be able to confirm this as well. I think that would be a um, prudent measure for a, a future study on DEET. Um, but like I say, the our sample was only 20 and up. What about the environment? Some of the concerns that people raise is that DEET is harmful for the environment, that it's used as an aerosol, it gets into the air, that it lingers in the soil. What can you tell us about that, if anything? So no evidence has shown that DEET has a negative impact on the um, on the environment, no, no um the significant evidence as of as of yet. Um, I don't know that um, that wasn't the the focus of this study, um, but some products, fewer products, will say. Um, I had mentioned the proper use of DEET, so the common ones are um, where to apply it and all and the like. You will find though 
fewer, though some um, deep-containing products do recommend that you do not spray within an enclosed space. Um, some for the for the benefit of for uh, for human health, but also um, for the environment. Um, some some deep-containing products have warnings, so as to reduce that spread. Um, but like I say, there's no nationally representative uh, data set that concludes um, that uh, that DEET is safe for the environment. So I think another future study would be to look specifically at environmental impacts. Tell us more about the safety of using it. That is something that you've mentioned a couple of times. It seems very important that you use in the proper way and um, perhaps a proper concentration. I'm not sure if that was part of using it correctly. Yeah, I, something important that we made sure to look for in the case reports um, based on the study that we thought there might be some health impacts, that those were done in cases where even the DEET was applied um, properly. Um, so we wanted to first make sure that if people are using D is properly, is there a health impact? It seems like based on our data that there's not, but the warnings are there because there has been um, evidence that improper use of D does have a, um, harmful impacts, um, primarily um, dermally on the skin, um, has been known to cause skin reactions in some rare cases. Um, and that's why they they do recommend not apply on sensitive area of the skin, any cuts or wounds. Make sure you don't pl um, apply it anywhere that it might be ingested near the eyes or or, um, or in the mouth. Um, may, and then to make sure that you wash it off with soap and water after after you've used it. Um, these are all very prominent on any decontaining products and as due to the fact that improper use could have uh, a negative health impact. So it is important that those using uh, deep products do use it as instructed. So make sure you read those instructions. There's some articles that talk about DEET as being neurotoxic and some people saying that it triggers migraines. Is there anything you can say about that? Yeah, some studies have shown, um, like I say, the, the literature is kind of mixed, is based on case reports. So some case reports have shown that there are some nervous system conditions caused by um, DEET exposure, some more mild than others, ranging from um, headaches and nausea to seizures. Um, so that is not something we looked at in this study, although we did identify as something that um, – has been noted and, and would be um, a, a good idea to be examined in a future study. What other findings did you come across that uh, you expected or that you didn't expect? So I would say while our sample did look on, only at uh, 20 and up, so we weren't able to uh, examine children versus adults, we were we did stratify the data based on age, and we found that there was no difference based on age, whether you were in a younger age bracket or an older age bracket, that there's no difference in the impact of, of DEET metabolite on any health impact. So um, that was one subsequent finding 
um, that we were able to conclude from, from the data. I'm also seeing reports of numbness, burning lips, and difficulty concentrating. Did you come across anything like that? I think so. Some of the what you're describing uh, were nervous system conditions, and that that is something that we did definitely see some case reports of. Like I mentioned, some were associated with that uh, numbness, and then nausea and headaches were common. Um, more minor nervous system conditions that we saw, but this ranged all the way to to seizures and some more serious nervous nervous system conditions. Um, these have been reported at, from the use of DEET, um, but due to the focus of our study, we, we did not look at those specific conditions. It's not something that we were able to conclude whether or not DEET has, has that impact um, and why we think it's important to continue looking at other um, biomarkers like nervous system, like cancer, like heart disease, like COPD, all things that we did not um, look at in this study. What can you tell us about how it's absorbed into the body, whether it's in the, regardless of the concentration, you're applying it directly to your skin. What happens once you do that? Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so like I say, it's it's only in rare cases where the product has caused skin reactions, and and some people report that it is more sensitive on on sensitive skin. But um, because of the low, it, my understanding of the of the actual product is that it does not absorb through this skin um, um, to a very it, it, to a very lesser degree. It does not um, transfer through the skin that. If you apply it, and that once you come home and you are able to wash it off, that it should it, it, it does not transfer dermally through the the skin. What the main concern is um, for the safety of people using deep products is that it's not ingested; that it doesn't go through any mucous membrane. So definitely the mouth is the most concerning, but through the eyes as well, um, uh, that is also of of, of concern. Um, to get deep in, the, in, in your eyes or ingest it. Um, so I think that those are the primary modes of, of, of deep causing any irritant or any reactions is through ingestion, much less so through um, dermal application. So uh, on the skin, that's, it does not transfer through the skin. So it's not absorbed internally when you apply it to your skin? No, that, is, that does not, the evidence does not uh, show that. Um, that um, the it's the the way it, it does to some extent that and that is how it it, it um, gets into your um, metabolite in the first place. But um, to the extent that it causes um, a severe reaction, that that those occur through um, ingestion and direct contact or direct ingestion of the of the insect repellent. Does that have to do with the size of the molecules themselves? I understand that in order for something to be absorbed into your skin, it has to be smaller than 500 Daltons. Is it that the deep molecules are larger than 500 Daltons? I can't speak to the to the size of the, the molecule. That is not something I, I, I'm versed in. Um, I can say, though, that if, 
if it is applied to the skin, that if um, what if if once you wash it off, that the the transference is minimal. While it does occur, and that's how these people who we identified with um, deep metabolite were um, how it got into their system, um, it does not have a health impact when absorbed absorbed through the the skin. Um, which is the main finding of our study that when used properly, that um, this uh, the deep product, even that um, what does transfer through the skin, what little does, it does not have a health impact. I can't speak to the size of the molecule or whether it's not able to fit through the skin that that um, that function, um, but I can say uh, I can speak to the health impacts of of the dermal application. Why is it that you found the DEET had a longer efficacy, so five hours compared to four to four and a half hours for the alternative repellents? Do you, um, did you have any uh, information on that? That is something, and that goes back to the mechanism by which um, DEET confuses um, insects, which is still not completely understood. Like I say, some reports say that it might be due to um, the sensory perception of these insects um, that DEET interferes with that and thus they are less able to be aware of their surroundings and they cannot identify human skin to land on. Um, which and, and that's how it's thought to function. That hasn't been concluded yet though. Um, what suggestions would you share for our listeners who are concerned about some of the side effects that we've talked about, the one, some of the ones that you have found in the literature, the neurotoxicity, the headaches, the numbness, etc., or that are concerned about using DEET for their children? What would you recommend to them as an alternative? So I think... Um, an alternative to DEET, if you don't want to use DEET, um, there are um, natural options. I did mention oil of lemon eucalyptus. That is a natural option that is a popular one, though, though still less efficacious as DEET, as, as we've mentioned. Um, that would be a good option. I think primarily my recommendation to those who are concerned is to make sure that you're following all the instructions. I think something that most people who apply insect repellent don't do is to, um, after returning, to wash their skin with soap and water. I don't think that is done enough. I think something else that they recommend is to wash treated clothes before wearing it again. I don't know that um, that is al always occurs. Um, sometimes it's over-applied. So I think, um, I, like I say, the study has shown that it, it is safe to use um, and this is a nationally representative survey, I would just make sure to follow all the product labels um, that are on these insect repellents um, in order to, to make sure that it's not being ingested in an improper way. I found something called the Pesticide Action Network North America, PANA for short, <laughs> and they talk about something called bite blocker, which uses soybean and coconut oil, and they say, according to this article, that it provides up to eight hours of protection and is safe to use on kids. Um, it seems to have, I'm um, not sure this one has it, uh, if you, is, is this something you've heard about? Does that sound like uh, it could work? 
I have not heard about it. Uh, I can't say just based on um, the ingredients whether or not it is efficacious. I would be curious to see what uh, literature they refer to um, in in coming to that conclusion. I, of course, I think as long as uh, if people are looking for more information on these different insect repellents, I think the EPA and the CDC all have um, they all have pages about these major insect repellents um, where you can find relation to DEET and, and other alternatives, whether or not how how is the best way to use it, um, whether or not it's safe, um, and then what are the differences between the um, different insecticides. I think if, if listeners want to be more informed about the different types of products, um, going to the EPA's uh, website, um, going to the CDC fact sheets for each of these um, each of these repellents would be would be uh, a good source of information. Like I said, I can't speak to the soybean um, concoction uh, that you're referring to in the art- article. Um, if there, I, I for one, obviously, um, the reason why this study came to be is that uh, you know, as much as it's being used, as effective as it is, it is still a synthetic uh, chemical that we're putting on our skin and. Obviously, these warning recommendations are because it can have health impacts if used incorrectly. So if there is an alternative that has been proven to be safe, um, that, um, that um, safe and effective, uh, I definitely, I think, I think that would be obviously permissible for people to use. Um, I would just make sure that people make sure they get the facts from um, the CDC and the FDA, the people who are doing um, this independent research on what the safety and efficacy of these products. Are there any sources other than the CDC and the EPA, non-governmental sources, uh, non-profits perhaps, that you could recommend as places where people can get additional information on different products, uh, DEET and non-DEET, uh, so that they can be better informed for themselves and perhaps for those who have conditions or children yeah, I, I think um, this article, uh, this study that we, was published in the American Journal of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. So they obviously, um, being focused on tropical medicine, um, there are a lot of studies in, in this journal related to different um, different insect repellents that obviously are used more, are more prevalent in a in a tropical environment. So that's one. Um, one journal I would definitely recommend for for your listeners to to be more informed about um, the latest on these different products. While the CDC and FDA might be a little bit um, lagging in that they respond to um, incidents and case reports, um, if you want to be on the forefront of where these um, insect repellents are being tested, especially in um, tropical environments where um, they're being used most and have the most impact, um, that would be another good source of information. What tips or suggestions would you share with our listeners in their approach to mosquito protection relating to DEET, if you will? What suggestions would you share with them as to how to go about taking advantage of your findings in the study for their, in their lives? Yeah, I think um, something I would, I think as consumers become more 
educated um, with before eating a, a I guess a and going to a, you know a grocery store and getting though you would look at the food products in between to make sure if you're gluten or not um, that kind of thing. I would similarly make I'd recommend to people buying insect repellents to really look at the um, the label on the bag, not the not just the warning instructions for how to use it, but what are the um, ingredients contained in it. Um, it might help to understand the different concentration. There's also a threshold of concentration, right? Um, at, after 30 or 40 percent um, concentration of DEET, it's not shown that uh, it might make how much longer that it lasts. So I think people um, buying these DEET products or buying any kind of product, just make sure you look at the concentration of what's the main active ingredient in the product. Um, and then do the research to know that um, if whether or not it is safe um, to use, how, how to use it safely, is it safe around your children? Um, and then things like if it's ingested, that is an issue. To, so to make sure you store um, DEET products and those insect repellents away from children um, just to make sure that um, these chemicals that while they, they are helpful for us, obviously they, they prevent these um, mosquito-borne diseases which are going to be more prevalent in, in the summer, which are growing more prevalent in general because of climate change, um, that as, uh, as we get more concerned that we, we are uh, informed consumers and we, and we make sure we're looking at the products that we're buying and what's in them. Suhair, thank you for joining us from Nooksville, Virginia. Thank you so much, Elena. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And to our audience, you have been listening to Zuhair Halim, who is a Ph. student at the University of Florida, who discussed a 2020 University of Florida DEET study. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.